Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> I believe that. How was the... Um, wow. What was the traffic like on Saturday? I mean, were the roads plowed? Did anybody, can anybody? A lot of snow. A lot of snow. Oh. Woo. He doesn't. He doesn't plow at school, too, does he? Yeah. That's, that's a bunch of overtime. <laughs> Everybody's pooped. Yeah. Well, I got pooped trying to watch the Vikings on Sunday. It wore me out. I gave up. Stephanie, I'm sorry, but I'm kind of a fickle fan. When they do good, I watch, and when they don't, then I shut the TV off. Kind. But that's what I've heard for 20, no, 40 years. I do, I do. My faith is right there. <laughs> it's not in the Vikings. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you that much. We had a conversation at work with a guy that I work with, and he was saying, you know, I'm just getting sick and tired of this place. I'm, I, my, I don't have any faith in this system anymore. And he says, well, you know, your faith is in the wrong place. It needs to be on something a lot more secure than the system. The system will fail you every time. So, yeah, the system is going to fail you. That's not a place to have faith in. So, Lord, we come here together tonight because you are good and because we love you and because we thank you for your word, that we can study it and have it. A lot of places around the world don't even have it, Lord, so we can count ourselves privileged tonight to have your word and to be able to study from it. We just pray that you will open my mouth, Holy Spirit, and let, uh, let the words that come forth be straight from your, from your heart, Lord God. Let me speak your words and proclaim the good news that's in this book. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in uh, chapter 19 of the book of Revelation. 
And we've been through most of the first part of it. We've seen the destruction of Babylon, both the false religious system and the political economic system. And then we switch back to the scene in heaven. And the scene in heaven is one of great rejoicing. And uh, lots of praise to God um, because that God has deposed this Babylon system and is about to take over. And we're going to start up at verse 6. And actually, let's do some reading together tonight. Um, not, we don't have a lot left in verse or in chapter 19, but there's a lot going on. So we're going to spend a little time just in chapter 19. Bonnie, you want to read um, Well, go ahead and read six through 10. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 10, New King James Version. Okay, so John is still kind of being taken around and shown different things by um, what we saw as an angel. And that's who he's listening to and who he's um, speaking to. Um, so there's still um, lots of praise and worship going on. I love... Um, the end of verse 6, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. That's one of my favorite. Uh, if anybody listens to Handel's Messiah this time of the year, it's part of um, Handel's Messiah. And I, it's, it's, it always stirs something in me. Um, okay, so one of the key points here in this section of verses is the call to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I wanted to spend a little time on that because it's, uh, it's, um, it's one of those things that can be a little obscure unless you just take some time to take a look at it. So let, we're going to do some, some verse hopping. And uh, is every, okay. So we're going to compare, first we're going to look at the traditional Jewish wedding customs because the marriage supper of the lamb is part of that but it's actually part of the last part of those customs so it's really the culmination of the whole wedding um, process which is more than just show up at church have an hour ceremony and have supper, lunch afterwards and go home 
This is, this is a lot more involved. Um, so let's, uh, okay, let's do some hopping. Bonnie, you want to pick up 2 Corinthians 11, 2? For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, New King James Version. Okay, Paul is speaking to believers. And is, he's saying that in his ministry, he is jealous because he has desirous of presenting us as a pure holy bride to the groom, bridegroom, and Jesus himself. So um, the church, all who have been saved under Christ, are considered to be the body of Christ, but also the bride of Christ. Okay. Now, in the Jewish customs, oftentimes the groom will make a arrangement with the desired bride's family. She may even be too young. It may be a years-long process. But they come to some kind of a, an agreement. There may be a dowry. There may be other um, gifts and presents given back and forth. But, but the bride is chosen long before the actual wedding is consummated. And so, uh, Joanne, Ephesians 1 and 14. Paul speaking again to the church. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, New King James Version. Okay, so we have been given the Holy Spirit as, a, as an earnest, as a down payment, as a, as a seal of our marriage covenant with Jesus. Um, just so that along the lines of, of the of the customs. Um, Austin, John 14. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. John chapter 14, verses 2 through 3. New King James Version. Okay, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Now, part of the marriage customs was that once the arrangement had been made, the groom would depart, would go back to wherever he was from, and he would begin to prepare the dwelling place for him and his bride to be a part of. And so we see Jesus telling his disciples exactly that same thing. Same thing. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And when I come back, I'll take you there to be with me forever. Okay. And then finally, there comes the day when the groom comes to get his bride. Um, and there's, we might look at some other verses, but Pastor Gary, 1 Thessalonians. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. New King James Version. So, you know, this is also one of the primary, we talked about a few weeks ago, primary rapture verses, but it's also a picture of the bridegroom coming to get his bride. We all leave. He shows up, we all leave and go to be with him. Um, I didn't put it down, but the parable of the ten virgins, that five have oil, five don't have oil. It talks also about the bridegroom coming when they didn't expect him. And um, five of them had enough oil to go into the party. Five of them didn't. And uh, they got left outside. So it's, it's one emphasis of that parable is be ready. Because the bridegroom comes at an hour when nobody knows for sure. And um, so <clears throat> the bridegroom comes for his bride. Now, the wedding, so when, so when the bridegroom takes away his bride, takes her back to the place that he has prepared, and there we finally have the ceremony. I, don't, I didn't have any pictures of the big hoopah tent-like thing. There's a ceremony with the rabbi. They break the glass under their feet. I don't know if that's ancient or more modern, but it's still kind of cool. And so the bride is take, bridegroom has taken the bride away back to the place that he has prepared. And this is where we have the marriage supper. Okay, there's a ceremony. Um, and there's might be up to as long as a week long. But it's, it's, a, it's a big meal. It's a big party. Lots of eating and drinking. And, and the story of Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding in Canaan is a story of a wedding feast, wedding festival, um, with, with all kinds of things going on. Now the other interesting thing, that's li- I had to dig for this one, um, and it's interesting, is that a newlywed groom, this is Old Testament, back in Deuteronomy, yeah, we won't go there, but Basically, it says that the bridegroom, the newlywed bridegroom, is exempted from military service for his first year. Because he says he needs time to get to know his wife and to be with her and to make her happy. And and so, no military service. So, it's interesting in the context of Revelations, because it doesn't exactly say when this marriage supper took place, but I'm guessing it took had to take place at least a year before we're going to see Jesus coming back and going to war. Because, you know, he got the year off. <laughs> I don't know. But it could be. Could be. <clears throat> so we see that, you know, you got to remember that the ordinances... The Old Testament ordinances, the, just the, the everyday ordinances that are truly God-given, they all point to Jesus. They all point to him and his, and his return. Uh, something as 
simple or as profound, however you want to look at it, as a Jewish wedding customs and ceremonies are fulfilled by Jesus with his bride, the church. And, uh, and so we see that picture that, that the wedding customs have played out over centuries. The, the Jewish people are completely familiar with what's going on. So they should look, when, when the time comes, they should be able to look at it and go, huh, I know what that's about. It's a wedding. So there it is. Now, here's one of those verses that um, it goes by so fast that if you, if you don't stop and pay attention to it, you'll just miss it completely. And it's the last part of verse 10. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let's dissect that for just a, a little minute here. Okay? Two, piece, two things going on. The testimony of Jesus. Okay? Who, who testifies to, to Jesus? Well, the Bible does. We do. Um, the angels testified about Jesus. We see that a lot in here in the book of Revelation. So we have the testimony of Jesus and we have the spirit of prophecy. What I think this really is trying to say is, I guess I just said it here about the marriage, everything that God does, whether it's Old Testament prophetic words, whether it's the New Testament apostles and prophets speaking, everything points to Jesus. Everything points to testifying about Jesus, about his work on the cross, about his first coming, about his second coming. And so, if you want to whatever you say and do really should be the testimony of Jesus. Because that's, that's what our lives are called to be about. That's what God has called the prophets of the Old Testament, the apostle and prophets in the New Testament. That's what our lives should be about. It should be about the testimony of Jesus. It's a tiny little phrase, but it, it, it's one of, it can be one of those life-changing verses if you let it be. All right, now we get to, to the exciting part. We're at... Um, Verse 11. Joanne, would you care to read? Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation chapter 19 verses 11 through 16. New King James Version. 
You know, as, as good as the movie makers are today, I don't think they would be capable of recreating this scene, even in the movies. I don't know if anybody's ever tried in the movies, but this scene is so spectacular that I just can't imagine it being, being able to be recreated. I'm sure there are those who have tried. So we see Jesus himself appearing in the heavens, in the skies. <clears throat> we last saw the heaven open back in chapter 4 when John was called up. And now we see heaven opened and Jesus comes down. He's riding a white horse. The last time we saw a white horse was in chapter 6 when we saw the Antichrist or the, the, first, the first seal judgment where the, the rider of the white horse went out to make war. And, um, but this time, the one who sits on it is called Faithful and True. He is the true Messiah and king and ruler of the rightful ruler of this world. <clears throat> in righteousness he judges and makes war, whereas the Antichrist in falsehood and duplicity and deceitfulness made war. Um, we saw in Revelation 1 or 2, we saw the similar image with his eyes like a flame of fire. Now on his head he wears many crowns because he truly is going to be the ruler of the entire world, the entire earth. And I think it's important to realize that, that, that well, we're going to talk about the millennial reign here in just a little few minutes, but there will still be nations and ethnicities and peoples and tongues and tribes on the earth, even through the millennium. And certainly as he appears, there are many countries, divisions, and some will change, but many of them will still be around and still be there. And, and so it's, it's fitting that he has many crowns because he will be ruler of them all. All right. Um, his name is called the Word of God, which we've seen John calls him that uh, in his gospel. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now, I just put in my notes, it says, that's us. <laughs> and so I just want to read you a couple verses um, from Jude, verses 14 and 15. Mm, it says, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, proph prophesied about these men also, saying, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict, convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds. Well, okay. Main thing is Jude talks about going all the way back to Enoch, prophesying that the Lord will come with ten thousands of his saints. Ten thousands might have been translated from something meaning a very large number. It may not be an exact 10,000 type of number. Um, Bonnie, can you look up 1 Thessalonians 3.13 and I'll get Matthew 25. 
so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, New King James Version. Yeah, just again reiterating that when he comes, we're coming with him. And then Matthew 25, 31, it's right after the parable of the ten virgins and the ten talents. And it says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Okay, so not only we will be with him, but it also says and declares that his angels will be with him as he comes in, into the skies above us. Okay, so then it lists a number of his attributes, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. So basically, his implement of, or weaponry, is that which comes out of his mouth. By his very word, the nations will be brought under rule. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. A meaning that, you know... During the millennial reign, when Christ is on earth, ruling and reigning over the world and over the nations, it will be a kingdom and, a, and, a, um, and there will be peace. But that's going to be maintained sometimes with this rod of iron. It, um, it will require Christ's to, hmm, should have studied this a little bit more. <laughs> I guess I think that there's, there's a cause, there's room for um, discipline, even on the earth during this period of time. Sometimes, I'm going to quit there before I get myself into trouble. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So he appears. He's awesome. We're with him. We're there preparing for this battle against all the kings and the armies of the Antichrist who are on the earth. And uh, we basically get to watch because, uh, because his word is going to fight for all of us. All right, Austin, you want to read, uh, let's see, yeah, 17 to the end of the chapter? Revelation chapter 19, verses 17 through 21, take one. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. Then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies, gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. 
Revelation chapter 19, verses 17 through 21, New King James Version. Okay, so the description here of, is basically um, Jesus winning the battle. First of all, the, the Antichrist as the first beast and the false prophet as the second beast are captured and thrown into the lake of fire. Um, and that's where they're going to stay for the for all eternity. And it says that the rest of the armies were killed with the sword, which proceeds from his mouth. So Jesus basically speaks the word, and the rest of the armies are destroyed. So we're there, but all we pretty much have to do is sit on our horse and Cheer them on, I guess. <clears throat> All right, so we've got the Antichrist, the first beast, and the false prophet, the second beast, <coughs> thrown into the lake of fire, and the armies of the Antichrist are destroyed. And we're going to keep going here a little bit more. Um, Pastor, you want to start at chapter 20, the first three verses? Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 through 3, New King James Version. Okay, um, we're going to see next week um, that the devil is let out but of the abyss. So he doesn't go into the lake of fire just yet, but he goes, he's got his own special place in the abyss. And so um, an angel, some believe it might have been Michael, but it doesn't say here at all, so we're not going to make any suppositions. But an angel with a chain hog ties them and um, binds them up into the bottomless pit. And we see that this binding has got a timer on it. It's going to last for a thousand years. We'll see more about that later. All right. And I guess I'm going to read Yeah, I'm going to read. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. So the church that was raptured to heaven essentially had already been resurrected now we see the resurrection of 
the saints who had come through the tribulation, either come through the tribulation or been, um, well, the saints who had been killed in the tribulation, now they come resurrection. So that group altogether, the church and these saints, really are part of this first resurrection. And it says they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, that's really all it talks about the millennium. So I, I've added a few things. If you want to see more, you really need to go into the Old Testament because the millennial period time frame is talked about uh, quite a bit. Not only in the Old Testament, but also some in the New. So this thousand year reign, um, again, there's a number of different views on on this thousand year reign of Christ. I believe that it is a, a real thousand year period of time where Jesus is on the earth ruling and reigning over an existing earth, just similar to the way it is now. There will be people, there will be... Um, so you basically have at least um, several different types of people. You've got the resurrected church, you've got the resurrected tribulation saints, and you've got the people who are Christ's and still alive at the end of the tribulation period. They will be going into the millennium as well, which means we've got normal people living through the millennium. They're going to be marrying, having children, repopulating a large portion of the earth because a lot of people have died. And, uh, and we'll see how that plays out at the end of the thousand years. So the millennium, why, why this thousand year period? Well, several reasons are typically given. One is that it's going to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies about a lot of different things. About Christ ruling and reigning in Jerusalem. About Israel receiving the promises that they haven't received even today. About land and prosperity. And it's fun to watch Israel because you can see some of these things even starting to come to pass. Um, one of the preachers we watch uh, in Perry Stone, he talks about this place just north of the Dead Sea called the Erava, which was just flat, dead desert for many, 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 many years. But since the Jewish people have been back in the land and since Israel has become a nation, they have... You know, Israel is the premier irrigator of the world. I even read an article that they were in California teaching the Californians how to irrigate uh, some of their crops because they just know how to do it better than anybody else in the world. And this Arava region is blooming. It's flowers and roses and, and citrus trees and almond trees and, and it's just blooming and it's Israel has become a breadbasket for Europe, and they ship produce. When we were there, one of the guys was saying, they have three corn crops a year. Can you imagine, you know, around here, if you can get one corn crop off, you're doing really well. They have three harvests of corn every year. 
It's just uh, the, the God has been blessing in the abundance of the food supplies and the fruits and vegetables and the flowers. They supply flowers to most of Europe. And it's just incredible. Anyway, let's go back to what we were talking about. Okay, just read, yeah, read 31 and 32. And then I'll just finish the, kind of the parable off. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 and 32, New King James Version. Okay, so this is called the sheep and the goats judgment, because um, earlier in Revelation, we saw that the church when it come, gets to heaven, there'll be, it was called a judgment, but it's a time of, of giving of gifts. Um, so it was a good thing. Um, Jesus was giving gifts to all those who had served him faithfully. And now we get to what's known as the sheep and goats judgment. So at the, shortly after Jesus comes down and sets up his throne and rulership on the earth, all that says all the nations of the earth will be judged. And basically those who have received the mark and those who have not been followers of Christ will go to the lake of fire. And so as we enter the millennium period, only the righteous go into the millennium. There is, Satan is bound. All those who followed him have gone to the lake of fire so the only people who are left around on the earth are either resurrected saints or the righteous people who have made it through the tribulation period. So we start out with the righteous. Um, all right, Joanne, uh, Isaiah 2, verse 3. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3, New King James Version. Okay, so the law is coming out of Jerusalem. Jesus is ruling. He's set up and reigning from Jerusalem. And um, you've got your finger in 11, but I'm just going to talk. I'm just going to jump from a few verses there. Um, it says, there shall, I'm in Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And then I'm going to go down to verse Six, it says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Okay? So this is just a picture of things that have changed in the millennium period. Um, the animal kingdom has been subdued. It is no longer a carnivorous um, predator. 
in the land. It, it, they, basically, there is harmony. And uh, they're all eating, basically, of a vegetarian lifestyle. Um, so it speaks in verse 12 about um, uh, assembling the outcasts of Israel and calling them all from the four corners. And they shall come before him in Israel. Okay. So chapter Isaiah chapter 11 is, is a description of a lot of the things going on during the millennial reign. And then um, I'm not going to go to Zechariah 14. If you want to, you can later. But basically it describes, and we've talked about this uh, back when we were talking about the different festivals of God. But uh, Zechariah 14 says that all the nations will be required to come to Jerusalem at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles to bring honor unto God. And so uh, if they don't, it says that land shall receive no rain. So there, you know, part some, maybe some part of that rod of iron. There's still things going on that will require discipline. And then the last one, Isaiah 65. Let me just find that one quick. It says that I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in here, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his day. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the... Yeah, I'll quit there. Basically, it's saying that our life, our life is going to be extended greatly from what it is now. I don't know that it's going to be the full thousand years, but we're going to live long, full lives in this peaceful time period. All right. So that's just a little bit of a perspective of the things that are going on during this millennial time period. And that's, oh, I started out talking about what I believe. I believe it's a real thousand years. Um, there's another system that says that um, this confused me a long time, and I maybe should have put it in my notes, but I'll see if I can explain it. So you've got the pre-tribulation rapture, the post-tribulation rapture, and the mid-tribulation rapture. That's, that's one thing. And those kind of three things are, or let's put those over here. Then over uh, adjacent to them, you've got the pre-millennial return of Christ, the post-millennial return of Christ, and amillennialism. Okay, so that's, they're not related to one another, but they're happening in kind of the same time, time periods and eras. So what I just described to you is, is, I believe, in what is known as the pre-millennial return of Christ. I believe that Jesus, as we saw in chapter 19, comes down out of heaven at the end of the tribulation and that starts the thousand year millennial reign. 
the post-millennial group of people believe that the church is going to be on earth this whole time and the church will have transformed the earth into this marvelous life and at the end of a thousand years of this glorious living brought about by the church, then Christ will come back. My question is, you know, how can you have a millennial kingdom without a king, first off? The church is not a king. Christ is the king. Yeah, so that one, I don't, that one doesn't make much sense to me. And then the amillennial people will say, and this really got its start in the 3rd and 4th century AD. Um, one of the church elders, Augustine, wrote a book called The City of God. And he basically said, we can't understand this, so it must all be just all spiritual. It's all allegory. So there really is no thousand-year period of history where Jesus reigns on the earth. Uh, it's 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 all about the fight against good between good and evil, and it's uh, the the Jesus is fighting against fighting for the good, and the devil is fighting for the for the evil, and it's just an allegory. We don't really see any of it except by spiritualizing it. <laughs> not buying that one either. The Bible says he's coming down. It says five or six times in this chapter there will be a thousand year time period and it needs to happen so that all of these Old Testament prophecies can be finally fulfilled once and for all. I kind of cut it off there quick because in my notes because we've still got two and a half chapters to go and the pace just accelerates and I was exhausted. <laughs> so I said, I got to quit there. Um, so we've gotten, Christ has come back. He's set up a reign. He's set up his rulership in the city of Jerusalem on the earth and we're with him as priests and rulers <clears throat> And the world is going to be repopulated with real people and real kids. And it's going to be glorious for a thousand years. <laughs>